hey, while that bumper video comes on, go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on, however you brought it with you this morning, and join me in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I don't know what uh, copy of your Bible uh, you're reading today, but I know this. It's on page 1, okay? So go, go to page 1. Um, it's the front if you don't own a Bible, there's some in the pew there in front of you. We'd love for you to take that Bible and let that be our gift to you and start to use that Bible. We've been in a series of messages talking about worldview, how we look at the world, how the world looks at the world, and how Christ's followers ought to look at the world from a biblical standpoint. We've established that God has created the world, that he has spoken to us in his word, that that word is authoritative and that word is sufficient. And so now we are looking at the issues that we see as we walk through this biblical understanding of human history. In 2016, as a church, we added some language to our bylaws, providing a biblical definition of what marriage is, and also adding some additional language that spoke straightforward concerning human life. I just want to read just a brief portion of what we added to our bylaws in 2016. All human life is sacred and created by God in his image. Human life is of inestimable worth in all of its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, the physically and mentally challenged in every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We are therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. There's much more that we added, but that paragraph summarizes the concept that all human life is sacred. Now, the question comes, why in the world did we have to add that to our governing documents? Why was it that three years ago we had to sit down as a church and look through our governing documents and say, we need to clarify what marriage is. We need to clarify that human life is sacred. Why did we have to do such a thing? You may, that remember, you may remember that in 2015, our Supreme Court here in the United States legalized same-sex marriages, June 26, 2015. You may also realize or remember that back at that time, there were multiple lawsuits, numerous lawsuits going out against houses of worship and individual business owners because of their religious stance, their biblical stance on marriage and sexuality and the sanctity of life. And you may remember that at that time, we said that it wasn't going to get better and it wasn't going to become more clear moving forward, but instead the situation was going to become more chaotic and worse moving forward. Since that time, many things have taken place. You just have to read the headlines or pay attention to the news to see that our world is confused over something that should be crystal clear. Our world is lost and confused over the sanctity of life and over such things as the God's given institution of marriage and, and gender. Uh, I read this week of Mattel Toy Company launching a line of dolls that are gender fluid for our children. In other words, it's not a male doll and it's not a female doll. The child can make it a male doll or a female doll or something in between. You've probably heard of a, men, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Jenner. Won the Olympic decathlon in 1976 and ironically won the male athlete of the year that year. Since that time, as a 69-year-old person, he has declared himself to be a female and started to go through the process of gender re-identification and has won awards for his courage in doing so. A couple of weeks ago, a British transgender person who gave birth to a child took his country to court because he wants to be listed, or excuse me, she wants to be listed as the father on the birth certificate rather than the mother. I, yeah, I'm just going to let that sit there and let you try to figure that one out. The Canadian government recently assigned gender U to a baby because the parents decided they didn't want to determine what their child's gender was. They wanted the child to grow up and determine what its gender was. And the government says it has to have a gender, but we don't have a name for we don't know what our child's gender is, so they made it U, unknown. It, we don't have to look at just this week's headlines, but I hope you do. 
I hope you pay attention to what's going on in our world, and I have no intention to make today's discussion political at all. Today's discussion is theological. Today's discussion is what does God say about humanity. But you don't have to just start this week. We can go back to 2005. The London Zoo put up a homo sapien display right next to the primate display. The Associated Press reported it this way, August 28, 2005, at the London Zoo, visitors can talk to the animals and now some of them talk back. Caged and barely clothed in a rocky enclosure, eight British men and women were on display beginning Friday behind a sign reading, warning, humans in their natural environment. A spokesman for the London Zoo, Polly Wills, said, seeing people in a different environment among other animals teaches members of the public that the human is just another primate. It also, she conceded, lets them have a gawk at people. The exhibition put three males and five female homo sapiens next to their primate relatives separated by a fence. One participant, a chemist named Tom Mahoney, 26, who applied after a friend sent him an email message about the contest as a joke. Anything that draws attention to apes, Mr. Mahoney said, has his support. Quote, a lot of people think humans are above other animals. When they, say, when they see humans as animals here, it kind of reminds us that we're not that special. End quote. I suspect that many of us are concerned about the things that we see going on in our society. I imagine that some of us are quite concerned over the issues that we see our world facing today, in particular dealing with human dignity and the sanctity of human life. If you're not concerned about it, I encourage you to start paying attention to it, because I promise you it is going to come back and impact you personally at some point in some way. According to the predominant worldview today, humanity is just a chance product of a materialistic evolutionary process, and therefore man is no different than any other plant or animal that is on earth. Although perhaps maybe more advanced or perhaps more evolved than these other animals, since there's no such thing as a soul and since there's no such thing as a divine being, then man is no different than a muskrat. Man is no different than an ape. Man is no different than the beautiful flowers that we see before us this morning. They live, they die, they cease to exist. And since from this worldview, which is predominant in our world today, there is no authoritative creator or God, then marriage is not the divine institution that God put in place. It is a culturally created idea that then can then therefore be redefined any way we want to redefine it. And since there is no authority and there is no creator God, then one's gender is not an objective absolute. It is a subjective opinion about what one thinks they are. And it can be changed at any time. And as debates about human dignity, as debates about gender and marriage rage in our society, my question for us today is what should Christians have to say about it? What should we think about it? How should we respond? And before we get into Genesis chapter 1 this morning, there's just three things that I think are foundational that we have to embrace. Number one, we need to embrace what the Bible teaches about man. God is God. He is our creator. He has revealed himself in his word. We have discussed that it is authoritative. We have discussed that it is sufficient. It is how God tells us what is right and what is wrong. And if we are going to understand what God thinks about human beings, then we need to turn not to subjective opinion. We need to turn to objective truth in God's word and say, God, what do you have to say about us? Who is man? What does gender mean? What is marriage? So the first thing we need to do is embrace biblical truth, but the second thing we need to do is embrace the call to help people thrive in Christ. We need to help people understand and embrace the truth that in God's Word is God's very best for mankind. That in God's Word, He reveals to us His perfect plan for us, the very best that He has designed for us, and anything that goes off of that plan is a substitute, it is a lie that will take people away from God's very best for them. 
And when we come to know truth, we then need to embrace the fact that there are people who are lost, there are people who don't know the truth, there are people who've never been confronted with the truth, there have been people who don't know the love of Christ. And our call is not to get angry and detach ourselves from the society. Our call is not to hate people because they are lost in their sin. Our call is not to look down on people because they are confused in their gender. Our call is not to hate people because they think they are homosexuals. Our call is to love them. Our call is to demonstrate truth to them. Our call is to demonstrate the love of Christ to them in our words and in our actions because they have been deceived and they are not living the life that God intends for them to live, the very best life that God has for them. And it's our job to show them what that looks like and to tell them what it looks like. Thirdly, we need to contend for truth and hope in a society that is swayed by lies and hopelessness. We need, as those who hold the truth, know the truth, and know the hope that it provides, we need to contend in our society for that truth and for the hope. Because a worldview that denies the creator denigrates humanity. And when you denigrate humanity, it leads towards a path of confusion and a path of destruction. The logical inconsistency and gender dysphoria are blatant. When you have to have a conversation about what restroom people are supposed to use in a school, we're in trouble. When you have to have, start having conversations about should this athlete participate in the male sports or in the female sports, we have some problems. Title IX makes no sense whatsoever if we're going to do away with gender. There are some inconsistencies that we just need to stand up and say, can we just stop and think about this for a minute? But this morning, I want us to talk about what a biblical worldview of man looks like. What does the Bible teach us about man? The nature of man. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 1, just the two verses, verse 26 and 27 this morning. We'll also be looking at Genesis chapter 2 today, but just these two verses that draw our attention to God's creation and the creation of man. God's Word says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it seems so black and white. It seems so clear when we read your word, and yet our world is confused over who man is, what gender is, and what your plan is for us. Father, I pray that we would dive into your word, that we would accept it as truth, that we would accept it as authoritative, that we would live our lives by it. But Father, I also pray that as we look out into a world of people who are being deceived and buying into the lies of this world and living a life that is not the best for them, that our reaction would not to be to shun them or to push them away, but our reaction would be to love them and to teach them the truth of your word. Father, let us contend for your truth in our own families, in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in your world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. What is a biblical worldview of man? Just some words that all start with D to help my mind kind of hold on to this. The first word is distinction. Distinction. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In the Genesis account, God has revealed to us the nature and process of his creation. A process that he reveals to us took six days. And in the first three days, God formed the earth. And in the last three days, God filled the earth. The first three days, he formed it. The last three days, he filled it with life. 
On day five, he filled the seas and the skies with fish and with birds after their kind, the Bible says. Then on day six, it says that he created all the living creatures that roamed on the earth, and again it says, according to their kind. After their kind is a phrase repeated seven times in these verses. As a matter of fact, it's repeated ten times in chapter one after their kind. These animals and these plants reproduced after their kind. The word kind, some people have referred to as species. It simply means that things uh, that are in the same kind are able to reproduce with one another. If you are in the same kind, you can reproduce. For instance, a male donkey and a female horse can reproduce and make a mule. Very good. They're of the same kind. A zebra and a donkey can reproduce and make a a zonkey. That's a real thing. It really is. It's a real thing. Look it up. It's a real thing. They can do that because they are of the same kind, right? It just simply means reproduction within boundaries. But then on the sixth day, we're told that God created man. In verse 27, it tells us that he created them male and female, but it makes no mention of after their kind. Now, it does so in every other created thing. It does so in all the animals, all the fish of the, of the sea, all the birds of the air. If you go back in, 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 in day three and look at verses 11 and 12, it even says that the plants reproduce themselves after their kind. But when it gets to man, Male and female, it makes no mention of after their kind. Man is distinct from the rest of creation. Man is one of a kind, if you will. There are no other things for man to reproduce with other than a male and a female. Mankind is unique. Thus the name, by the way, have you ever thought about this? Mankind. There's nothing else for us to reproduce with. But let's go back to a minute to this key phrase, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. Isn't this interesting? This is plural language. This is God who is creating, who is speaking the world into existence, and then it gets to this conversation about creating man, and he says, let's make man in our own image. He's he's speaking in plural. And we say, well, why in the world is God speaking in plural? Is this the royal we? The Queen of England, whenever she refers to herself, always does so in the third person, always does so in the plural, because she's majestic. God's not using the royal we because he's majestic. God's using the royal we because it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see it right here in Genesis chapter 1. God is creating, the Spirit is hovering over, and Christ, we read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing has been created apart from the Word of God. Everything was created for Him, by Him, and through Him. So this is God the Father, the Trinity, saying, let us make man in our own image. But what does that mean? What does it mean to make man in our own image? None of the rest of the creation was made in the image of God. Man alone is made distinctly in the image of God. So does that mean we look like God? Well, we know that can't be because God is spirit. John chapter 4, he is spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. So it doesn't mean we look like God. So then what does it mean that we have the image of God? I believe it means that God has given us a capacity. It's given us a capacity to know him. It's given us a capacity to have fellowship with him. Man can consciously know that there is a God. Man can also consciously know if we're out of fellowship with that God. The rest of creation brings glory to God. They just don't know they're doing it. But man has been given the unique capacity, the unique ability to have a conscience, to understand God, and to be aware of when we have been separated from God. Adam and Eve, when they sin, we'll see this next week in chapter 3, instinctively go and try to hide themselves from God, just as your two-year-old did when they sinned. We all do it. There's something instinctive inside of us that knows we're supposed to be relating to God. David, the the psalmist king, the shepherd king, wrote Psalm chapter 8, which we looked at a few weeks ago. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, remember? 
And he looked up at the stars and he concluded that God is great. He is transcendent. But he also looked at the stars and he concluded that God is good. And you may remember in verse 4, as he's looking up at that big starry vastness, he said, what is man that a God who could create all of this would be mindful of him? Who's the son of man that this great, massive, transcendent God would think about us? And as he thought about that question, he came to understand that God is great, but God is good because God created man. Psalm 139 says that, tells us that God knit us together with his own hands in our mother's womb. He formed us with his own hand, and he breathed his life into us, and he's given us his image. He's given us a soul. He's given us the capacity to reason. He's given us a capacity to have relationship with him. We are distinct. We are uniquely created from all other creation. As we said last week, you did not climb out of the goo after going through the zoo. You are who you are because God created you in his image. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that all human life has dignity for this reason and this reason alone. And that's enough. He also gives us the capacity not to have, just have relationship with him, but verse 26, he tells us that we are to rule. We have a capacity to have dominion over the earth. Again, back in chapter 8 of the book of Psalms, it tells us that he created us a little lower than God. Not a little lower than the angels, not a little lower than the heavenly beings. He created us a little lower than himself, and he has given us dominion over the world. He has given us stewardship over the world to watch over it. Mankind has infinite value. He has infinite worth. All human life has dignity. From the unborn baby to the oldest, sickest person we have. Because God has stamped his image on them. And we do not get to take that dignity away because they are an inconvenience. There is a distinction, but then I also want you to see that there is a design. It's interesting that when God created man, he further defined mankind by gender in verse 27. Isn't it interesting? He created so many things. He created plants and animals. He created all of them. But he never one time distinguishes them by gender until he gets to verse 27, and he says, and I created man in my own image. I created him male, and I created him female. Now, we know scientifically that almost everything has a gender. Plants, animals, trees, birds, bees, they all have gender. But God does not explicitly state that until he creates man. And then he says, I've created them man, man and woman. Gender is part of God's design. In fact, it is part of God's goodness in his design, creating two categories of humanity, man and woman, male and female, sometimes referred to today as the gender binary, by meaning two. It's either this or this. There are no other, no other options. And this is part of God's good plan. And in order to fulfill his commandment to be fruitful and multiply, guess what you need? Do I need to have a class on this one? I'm a male and a female. I prefer not to pull the chart out and go through this, okay? <laughs> Two genders. No confusion. And yet God decided, I'm going to spell this out for you in the first chapter of my book, in the second chapter of my book, male and female, because do you suppose God just might have looked ahead into history and gone, those human beings are going to get confused at some point. And some of them are going to try and go and become gender dysphoria, and they're going to try to come at the gender uh, spectrum, and they're going to create a doll that says it's not a male and it's not a female. It can be whatever you want it to be. Do you suppose God looked at that and said, these human beings are that dumb. They're going to do that somewhere down the line. So let me just spell this out for them. Man and woman. Genesis 2 provides us with a theological commentary on chapter 1. And I've got 10 minutes to walk you through Genesis chapter 2. So get your roller skates on and get ready. Here we go. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, some people say, well, they're, they're, they're telling us about 
creation. It's, it's the same story, but Genesis chapter 1 tells us about creation. Genesis chapter 2 is the commentary on what happened in Genesis chapter 1. It gives us the detail in chapter 1. And, and so I want us to just stop and look at this. The first three verses deal with day 7 of creation, which is God resting. And then verse 4 on gives us commentary. Look at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and the water, the whole surface of the ground. So you say, what in the world's going on here? God has created everything. He's put plants in place. He put trees in place. He put everything in place, but nothing's growing. It's just all staying stagnant. And he tells us why. Because rain hasn't come, and what's, what's the other thing it just said? Why hasn't it grown? What did it say? Man had not yet come to cultivate it. All of creation is designed for God's glory and to give us a place in which we live to glorify him. Creation, the earth, is for mankind to live in and to cultivate. So, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man of dust, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God created Adam out of dust. We read right by that, but that's very important. You say, why is it important? Because it shows us that Adam was made out of something. This is the physical element. Adam was not just a spirit. Adam is both spirit, God created him to be an eternal being, a soul, but he also created him to be a physical being, and he created him out of stuff, because there are some worldviews that say there is nothing but the material, and there is nothing spiritual. There are other worldviews that say there is nothing material, and everything is spiritual. And right here, we find that Adam was both physical and spiritual. He's made out of stuff. But let's keep reading. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We will see these come into play next week when we get to chapter 3. Verse 10, now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided the, and became four rivers. Jump down to verse 15 with me. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of, of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. God created Adam, man, out of the dust of the ground. But there was not a suitable helper for him. And God says in verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. He is incomplete. It's not good for him. We're not designed to be alone. We're designed to be in unity. We're designed to be in harmony. But there was no suitable mate found. How do we know there was no suitable mate found? Because God threw a parade. And he had Adam stand there and he marched before Adam, all the living creatures that he had created out of the dust of the ground. And Adam was given the task of doing what? Naming them. Why was he given that task? because he had been given dominion over them. 
and naming them shows your authority over them. And this is authority that had been um, delegated by God to Adam. But there's another reason why God marched all the animals before Adam. Because as Adam was watching them march by, and he named them, he came to realize, I'm different than all of these. I'm not like them. They're not like me. And there was no suitable helper found amongst the animals. Helper means complement. It means co-worker. Suitable means a right fit. Nothing else is right. I mean, Adam, just, he just looked at the animals and went, there's nothing here for me. They're beautiful, they're wonderful, but there's not any of them that fill the need that I have. There's not any of them that fit together with me. And so what does God do? Verse 21, so God created a suitable helper. Adam recognized that there was not a suitable mate for him, and Adam could easily rationalize that none of these animals fit him. And so God created a helper for him. And by the way, did he ask Adam for his help? Did he ask Adam, hey, Adam, what are you looking for? Did he go off a shopping list? Because Adam probably had one. After looking at all the animals, he's like, nope, nope, nope. He knew what he was looking for, but God didn't go, hey, Adam, what are you looking for? No, Adam, here. I'm going to create someone for you who is perfect just for you. So we've seen distinction. We've seen design. We've seen that they have dominion. Then in verse 15, we see that God gave them a duty. We're not going to go into the the, the details of this, that they were given a job to do, to cultivate the land. This isn't part of the fall. As much as we would like to say work is a result of the fall, work is a curse of the fall, it's not. God said, you are here to go to work, cultivate the land, verse 15. But in verses 16 through 18, he gave them direction. He said, Adam, look at all you have. Look at where I place you. It's perfect. You can eat of any tree in this garden. Look at all the blessings that you have in this garden. All of it is yours. I just ask you one thing. Don't eat of that one tree. Not, not, not 10 commandments, not 613 commandments, not a million commandments, one thing. He gave him direction. And Adam made no fuss about it. It was no problem for Adam in the beginning. He gave him direction. But then as we close, we see two declarations that take place. God created woman differently than he created the rest of creation. How did he create the rest of creation? Out of the dust of the ground. You women are just got to be different all the time, don't you? But women were created differently. God caused Adam to go to sleep. He took a rib out of the side of Adam, probably fleshy material out of the side of Adam, and from that he formed woman perfectly. And then he walked the woman in front of Adam. And what did Adam say? Whoa, man, that's exactly what he said. (laughs) He literally said, now we're talking. Now you're after it. That's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. All right, God, good job, right? She's me, but she's not me. I see the connection. I see the fit. I see God's perfect design. And then it says in verse 24, for this reason, because there was no other mate for him, and then God created the perfect one for him, male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Man and woman. Marriage is not an institution defined by culture. It is a divinely ordained relationship between one man and one woman given by God. It's God's perfect design. And our culture may want to call it something else and redefine it as something else, but you cannot redefine what God has defined. And again, I'm not being political at all. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to say that everybody shouldn't have civil rights. I'm not trying to say that everybody shouldn't have a right to do things. I'm just saying, let's not redefine what God has defined. 
Verse 25. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. You know why? Because there was nothing to be ashamed of. Because it was God's perfect plan. It was God's perfect provision. There was no sin. There was no imperfection. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing to be ashamed of because they were doing it as God designed it to be done. Let's just backtrack a second. Can you see any modern issues that might come to play as we read through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? Can you just look at the headlines in our world today and go, what does the Bible speak to the value of life? When as Christians, we have to take a stand and, and we say, are, are unborn children valuable or not? And hear me say this. I know that there are people in this room who have been impacted by abortion, either personally or someone in your family. And I'm not here to cast judgment on anybody. I'm here to say that God loves you and God is a healer and God is a redeemer and God is a forgiver, but God is the giver of life and he determines that life is of value, not what our society says about it. And until we as a church start standing up for that, value of life is going to get denigrated more and more and more and more. What about those in our society that aren't a help to our society? by the standards of our society, those that are ill, those that are elderly, those that are um, medically or physiologically or psychologically impaired, what do we do with them? Do they bring no value? Do they have no value? And since they're not contributing to society in the way society says that they should contribute, then what do we do with them? Well, there have been certain movements within our world and not that long ago history that says, well, we'll just do away with them because they're inconvenient. And I promise you, if we continue down the path where we're going now, that will find its way right here into our own country. Racial inequality has no place in a biblical worldview. Zero place to say that somebody... Uh, has value because of their skin color or their ethnicity, has zero place in a Christian's lifestyle. Gender confusion. If I take Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 literally, and I do, and I told you why I do, there is no room for gender confusion in here. It is God's plan, it is God's design, that's not to say that somebody who is confused in their gender deserves to be hated or mistreated or looked down upon. That is to say that they don't understand God's best for them. And they're living under a delusion that can lead to chaos and hurt in their lives. And marriage. I think it's pretty clear when we read Genesis chapter 2 that God designed marriage, that God instituted marriage, and he did so between one man and one woman. So what do we do? How do we respond in a world that is confused over these issues? Number one, we have to understand, we have to embrace what Scripture teaches about it. Not arrogantly, but confidently. Not proudly and boastfully, but understanding that we stand on authority of the Word of God when we say, this is what God says. This is his plan. This is his perfect plan. And so we need to embrace it. And in order to embrace it, what do I have to do first? I got to know it. I got to study it. I got to learn it. But then secondly, man, we've got to embrace the call that God's given to us. And the call that God has given to us is not a social call. It's not to be about social issues. The call that God has given to us is about kingdom issues. The call that God has given us is to not look down on people and to judge people because of their sin. The only judging we ought to be doing is does that person know Jesus Christ or not? And if they don't know Jesus Christ, I ought to be presenting Jesus Christ to them. And God has called us to love people who are hurting. God has called us to love people who are being deluded into following a lifestyle that is not God's best plan for them. 
And we ought to open the doors and open our arms to anybody who would come close enough to hear about the love and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Let's not shun them, let's befriend them. And we've got to stand up in our society and be counted. We've got to contend for the truth because it is just spinning out of control. And what you hear in this year, two years from now, I promise you, (laughs) would you ever imagine, some of you that have been in the church for more than about 25 years, could you ever imagine a pastor standing up and having to preach this message 30 or 40 years ago? Would you have imagined it? And yet here we are. Imagine what life is going to be like for our children 30 or 40 years from now unless we help them as a generation to know truth, embrace truth, and love people. Y'all listen pretty quick today. There's so much more we could unpack there. Next week, we're going to come to chapter 3 of Genesis. God gave them one thing. Don't do that. You can eat of anything. Look at all the blessings that I've given you, all the provisions that I've given you. Just don't eat of that one tree. How'd that work out? Where does evil come from? Where does death come from? A lot of different worldviews. What does the Bible say about that? So we'll come back next week and look at that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being awesome, our sovereign creator, who is good and holy and just and right and pure and perfect. Thank you for creating us and having a plan for our lives that you detail for us. And Father, forgive us when we think we know what's better for us. And Father, I'm not just talking about people that are in the world right now. I'm talking about those that are in this very room. I'm talking about myself. Father, forgive me when I go on my plan and not yours, when I pursue the things of this world and I don't pursue you. Father, because you have a plan that that leads to a perfect relationship with you and anything that I would pursue would lead to chaos and destruction. And Father, there are people in our world today who are hurting. They're confused, they're hurting, they're buying into the lies of this world and they need to know truth. They need to know that they are of infinite value because you created them in your image. They need to know your plan for them, your design for their lives. And Father, we know what that is. We know what it is to have a relationship with you. We know what it is to be forgiven of our sin. We know what it is to live in peace. We know what it is to live by the design that you've given us. And so, Father, I pray that you would compel us to live by this truth and to love others into this truth. This morning as we just continue in an attitude of prayer do you know that God has a very best for you that God has a best for you that he's designed you for a relationship with him an eternal relationship in heaven yes but that relationship can start right here on earth he's designed you you are distinct from all of creation because you've made been made in his image to have a relationship with him But sin, going against God's plan, going against his will, has separated you from him. But God loves you so much that he's done something to take care of your sin. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to become one of us, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life. And he died on a cross, taking the punishment for sin, We saw in Genesis chapter 2 where God said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And God took all of that wrath against sin and he put it on his own son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because if we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, if we would believe that he died in our place, we could be made right with him. We could be restored into a right relationship with God. That is God's plan and purpose for you. I wonder today if you've never heard that before, if, if today your heart would just be opened to say, this world's offered me a whole lot, but it hasn't delivered. 
I want what God has for me. I want God's best for me. I want to be right with him. You can do that just by saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. I'm not living the best life you have for me. And so I trust that Jesus Christ died in my place. I believe that he rose again, proving that he was the Christ. And I want to be made right with you. God, forgive me of my sin. Let me live for you. In a moment, we're just going to stand and sing a song of celebration together. I wonder if someone here today has just said, you know, today's the day I want to start God's best plan for my life. I've trusted in Christ. I'm going to be down front. There'll be some other folks that'll be here. And, and would you do me the immense, immense pleasure of coming down and just telling me, Pastor, I want to start that best life with Jesus. I'd love to pray with you about that. Some of us just need to embrace the truth we need to share the truth. Heavenly Father, you take this time of invitation. Lord, I thank you for those who are right now being drawn into a relationship with you, being confronted by your truth and your love. And I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't move away from it, but they would run towards it. That they would be bold and let your Holy Spirit strengthen them to say, I need that relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that I have infinite value because of who Jesus says I am. Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the truth and not be afraid to stand up for what your word says in this world. But let us speak the truth in love. Father, let us see people as you would see people, not as freaks, not as weirdos, not as people that we don't agree with. Father, let us see them as Jesus Christ saw them. Let us see them as people who desperately need you. Break our hearts for those who are hurting, Father. Lord, be glorified in this invitation, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's just sing a song of celebration. If you want to come talk about God's best for you in Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to come and unite with this congregation as we seek to reach people with the love of Christ, if you want to come and pray, come and pray. Just as you are, in the Spirit call, come just as you Thank you so much.
for your encouragement of being here and just worshiping God together. I pray that you've been challenged and encouraged today. I pray that we leave more like Christ than when we walked in. I pray that we leave more bold to go out and love people with truth. All right? I didn't hear too many notifications going off, so either that's um, you guys weren't paying attention to other things or nothing good went on to get notified about. So don't know how that works. I'll find out later. Um, thank you for being here. You know, this... We're here because God's called us to worship him together. But this isn't, this isn't game time. This is, this is pep rally. This, this is locker room time. You guys are about to go hit the field. And so I'm praying for you this week as you go out and as you love people in the kingdom of Christ. Guests, please stop by the guest reception. Love to see you there on the way out. Bring candy for trunk or treat as you come back. Have a great week. Love you guys.